The reading is taken from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we turn to uh, the Lord's Word. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, speak to us through these uh, words of the uh, Apostle Paul. I pray you'd uh, open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. And I pray that you would be at work by your Spirit, opening a door for your message, uh, both in uh, our own personal contexts and communities and in the community that surrounds us here in uh, North Oxford. I do this such that we might have opportunity to speak of the Lord Jesus, words of grace, seasoned with salt, that we might make him known in this part of your world and beyond. Amen. We're drawing, uh, I think this is indeed the final uh, sermon in our series. We've been looking uh, at John 15 together, uh, Jesus's uh, Uh, discussion about the vine, the true vine, how he is the vine and we are united in him as branches in that vine. And we've been looking at various aspects of what that means for us as a church community, individually, but also as a church community. And uh, this final uh, sermon on John 15 uh, is entitled, A Community of Mission, Branching Out, A Community of Mission. And it comes from verse 16 of John 15. You don't need to turn to it. I'll read it for us. Uh, where Jesus says this to his uh, disciples and to us. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And uh, the language I think of appointing and the language of going is the language of disciple-making. Like all healthy vines, the church is supposed to grow. It's designed to grow. I want to start by saying that I find uh, evangelism, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, very hard. I find it, I think, the hardest part of my personal discipleship. And uh, I found preparing this uh, sermon, therefore, very challenging. I expected it to be challenging, and it was challenging. But what challenged me most surprised me. The challenge uh, was real, but it didn't uh, lie precisely where I thought it would lie. I thought that I would be challenged about not speaking about Jesus more uh, to those who don't know him. And uh, indeed, I was challenged by that. 
But what challenged me, I think, particularly as I read these verses and others like them in the New Testament, was that I don't share my life more. And in many ways, it is that that makes speaking about Jesus so difficult for me. And in a funny sort of way, actually, what I found challenging, I also found encouraging. Because as I read Colossians and other similar passages, one of the things that struck me is that sharing Jesus happens most naturally, and I think most often in the context of sharing life. One of the things that I find so difficult about evangelism, I think, is that I think I have to crowbar Jesus unnaturally into context and into conversations, whereas actually what Colossians 4 gives us is a picture of life lived side by side and actually opportunities to share Jesus being much more naturally uh, arising from that context. A few years ago, uh, the pastor of a large church in America called Bill Hybels wrote a book um, called Becoming a Contagious Christian, I think. It was quite a few years ago now. And he had a sort of rule of thumb for sort of evangelism. And it went like this. It was a sort of an equation. Uh, High potency, by which he meant um, personal integrity, distinctive Christian living, if you like, plus close proximity to those who don't know Jesus, plus clear communication equals impact, high impact. Now, I can't remember where he gets that from or if he gets it from a particular Bible text, but it is, in fact, precisely what verses 5 and 6 of Colossians 4 are saying, isn't it? Personal integrity, close proximity, that is verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, Literally, or more literally, walk in the way of wisdom towards or in the face of... At the outside world, outsiders. That's personal integrity, close proximity. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, that's the clear communication aspect. And so what I want to do uh, this morning is briefly pick up those three aspects and think about how we can uh, be sharing Jesus more naturally, uh, God willing, more often. Uh, here, so here's the first, close proximity, walk in the way of wisdom uh, towards in the face of outsiders. In other words, Paul says the Christian life is meant to be lived uh, in the world, as part of the world. There's supposed to be a movement of us as Christians towards the world. And we can trace that back to the words of Jesus. Do you remember these words to his uh, disciples? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the first point is simply this. If we're going to share Jesus so that people glorify our Father in heaven, we need to be those who are sharing our lives uh, with non-Christians. And that is a challenge. I think it's a challenge to me. I think it's a challenge generally Uh, given our culture. In one sense, um, you read the newspapers and things, you'll know that we've never been such a connected culture with Facebook and social media. Uh, We seem to want to share everything. But of course, so often, and particularly with social media, so much of what we share is airbrushed, and it is superficial. It is sort of friendship at a distance. 
I was very struck a few years ago, I was uh, reminded a, a survey, quite a big survey was done on sort of the way we live, a neighbourliness, you may well remember it, and uh, the, the findings were, 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 were very striking. Um, I have one or two of them here. It said uh, over a third of people wouldn't even recognise their neighbours. Uh, nearly three quarters do not know what their next door neighbours do for a living. And when uh, one of the people involved in the survey was asked to comment, they said this, I thought it was uh, interesting, relationships with our neighbours have changed significantly over the years because of the way we live, work and socialise. We move homes more frequently, spend a lot less time communicating face-to-face and are more cautious about who we welcome into our homes. As a result, we know very little about our neighbours as we all get on with our own busy lives. Now, that may or may not be true for you and your own particular neighbours, but I think there is something there that is true about our culture, whether it be with our neighbours, whether it be with our work colleagues, whether it be with whoever. Sharing life is more than accepting a friend invite on Facebook. It is more than knowing the names of our colleagues at work or wherever it might be. Sharing life is hard work uh, at times. It involves the hard work of building a relationship of maintaining a relationship, of investing in someone else's life, of letting them invest in our lives. It revolves a vulnerability. And I have to say, this aspect was the thing that struck me most and I found most challenging. As I asked myself the question, where am I sharing my life outside of the church community? Where am I building friendships with those outside the church community? And I have to say, I'm not really... I'm not. A part of that is busyness, or at least I can put it down to busyness, uh, because obviously building those sorts of friendships involves being intentional, it involves being proactive in cultivating contacts outside of a church context, of investing myself in relationships. Part of it, I've got to say, is comfort. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I find it so much easier to spend time with people who fundamentally think like I do, who have the same worldview as me. It's just so much more comfortable. If I could sort of use this illustration, you know, when I spend time around church friends, Christian friends, it's like putting on a comfortable pair of slippers. You know, there's no angularity there. We, we, we have so much in common. We, we share the same in-jokes. We, we, we live in the same sort of world. When I'm tired, or when I've got a, a, an evening and I want to you know, spend it uh, in sort of leisure time, whatever it might be, who do I phone? Most of the time I'll phone you know, Christian friends. Because it's so much easier. And then I said this to Philippa, and she said, no, you don't. You don't phone anyone. <laughs> and, um, and then I thought, no, that's probably right. She said, you know, you watch sports, or, or whatever it might be. Now, that's true. <laughs> now, part of that is I'm, I'm more of an introvert by nature, uh, and so I do need some time I to recharge, but that's, that's not an excuse, really. Uh, and neither is busyness. Uh, part of it is, 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 is choice. And when I ask myself the question, why do I find it so difficult to share Jesus, to share my faith? Part of it is because I have very few people to share Jesus naturally with. Because I'm just not building those relationships. I'm not living with uh, people, non-church um, folk. So passages... Um, so I should say, and so therefore, one of the things that has challenged me, and I'm going to go away from this, is, is think, where can I be cultivating? You know, is there an obvious place for me to be cultivating a friendship group, a community group outside of church? 
But it's also so it's a challenge, but it's also an encouragement. I was also encouraged by this as I read Colossians 4 because I thought passages like this and elsewhere reminds me that evangelism is not meant to necessarily require a crowbar. I'm not meant to have to sort of crowbar Jesus in out of the blue, uh, uh, you know, in sort of a cold contact kind of a way. Colossians 4 assumes that actually often it could be the case that evangelism is much more natural, it's much more conversational. Passages like this assume that if I'm sharing my life with somebody, if I'm living alongside people, opportunities to talk about Jesus will naturally arise. You know, in response to questions, as people get to know us and discover that we're part of a local church and we go to house groups and things like that, the question will arise, well, why do you do that? There's an opportunity. Or in circumstances of life, in the ups and downs of life, there'll be opportunities to, you know, can, I, can, can, can I pray about that when someone talks about something that's going on in their life? Um, can I pray for you in that? Can I? You know, the, the opportunities will more naturally arise that we can that we can take if we're sharing life. So it seems to me the first challenge in thinking about mission and thinking about evangelism is the challenge simply to share life. It's to build friendships. It's to move towards the world. And the encouragement, I think, is that those kinds of deep friendships may well provide opportunities to share our faith in a way that is much more natural than I think we sometimes fear it has to be. But that will only happen if we are living distinctively, which is the personal integrity part. Walk in the way of wisdom in the face of the world. When Peter calls us in his letter, 1 Peter, aliens and strangers... He is not saying that we are to be distant from the world. He is saying we are to be distinctive. He's saying we're to let Jesus shape us and not the world. So we approach the world, we approach our work, we approach our life, whatever it might be, seeking to employ God's will, not the world's. God's agenda, not the world's. We're living by his wisdom, not the world's. We are being shaped by the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world. And that is vital. That is vital. You see, if we're not in the world, the world will never notice us. If we're in the world, but we look exactly like the world, the world won't notice us. But if we're in the world, and we're living authentic and distinctively Christian lives, we will draw the eye. And here again is challenge, but also encouragement, I think. The encouragement is that evangelism, in a sense, or the foundations for evangelism are not sort of a bolt-on to our Christian life. Rather, they can flow organically from the life Jesus is calling us to live and resourcing us to live. Many of us found um, the course Fruitfulness on the front line very helpful. We did it um, a little while ago now, every year ago now, I think, in house groups. But it was helpful because, for many of us, it enlarged our view of Uh, how we can witness to the wisdom and the reality of God in our lives. It reminded us that in the way that we live in every facet of our life, if we're living according to God's will and agenda, if we're responding to life according to our faith in Christ and our human resources, then we can be distinctive and we can draw the eye and point to the reality of God at work in our lives in a whole range of ways. Um, in the way that we model godly character, in the way that we work, in the way that we uh, speak to people, in the way that we seek to mold culture, in the way that we seek to be mouthpieces of truth and justice, in all kinds of ways, 
If we're living distinctively Christian, then we will be seen to be different, and that can draw the eye, and it can create opportunities to speak of Jesus naturally. Why do you work like that? Why do you go the extra mile? Why do you speak up for the vulnerable and the oppressed? Why do you not simply go with the status quo at work? but seek to be different. Why do you do this? Why do you respond? How do you respond to difficulties in the way that you do? Why do you pray before you do X? Why do you so and so and so forth? See, so we're living distinctively Christian lives in the multifaceted ways that that is. Opportunities to speak of Jesus. And then we can be messengers for the gospel, uh, which is the third and final point. Clear communication. Verse 6. Let your conversation... Be seasoned, uh, full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, proximity to the world, living before the world, with the world, building friendships, relationships, living distinctively Christian lives, living wisely, these are foundational. They are foundational. But the ultimate desire and aim, of course, is to bring people to a faith in Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, we need to speak about Jesus. We need to speak about Jesus. We need to be actively seeking opportunities then and looking for opportunities thinking, yeah, here's an opportunity I can say something about the Lord Jesus and what he means to me. And let me say at this point, that does not make our friendships disingenuous. It does not make them means to an end. Rather, what we're saying there is simply what we are recognizing is that we want the best for our friends and we want the best for our communities and the best is Jesus Christ. It is him who saves and transforms people. It is him who saves and transforms communities and that's why our ultimate aim is to want to speak of him. So when the opportunity that comes from sharing our lives and living authentically uh, Christian lives, uh, when the opportunity comes to say something about why we live as we do or why we respond to life as we do or how we face the problems like we do or whatever it might be, we are uh, to grasp that opportunity, make the most of that opportunity and speak of Jesus with words that are full of grace, seasoned with salt. It's not absolutely clear, at least to me, what Paul means here. But I think he's saying that as we receive questions, as we have opportunities to speak about Jesus, then our words should be both gracious, loving, uh, but also full of grace. That is sort of, if you like, full of the gospel. In other words, I think he's saying when we get the chance uh, to speak, what we want to do is connect the way that we live with the one that we live for. Can we explain why it is we do what we do, respond like we do, live like we do, all those various things? Can we connect that with our faith, with Jesus? So it's not just our lives that are to be distinctive, but our answers. For instance, why do we live the way we do? It is because of the grace of Christ. It is in response to the God who loves me and gave himself up for me. That is a salty response. Because, of course, that is not what the world thinks. The world thinks we live like we do to earn God's favor. In fact, we live like we do. It flows from being certain that we are accepted in Christ, that we have God's favor in Christ. It is that that motivates our life and our living. And notice, too, we are to answer everyone. And the idea here, I think, is that... 
is that our answers are to be fitted for the person in front of us. Again, I think it assumes a level of personal relationship that often the context will be relational. So it's not just I've got an answer here that I've learned in response to that question and I can now just parachute that answer in. The idea is we know these people. We've been building relationships with them. They're friends. And so my answers will be particularly fitted for this person and their context because I know them. That won't always be the case. Sometimes we will speak about Jesus to people we don't know very well. But often, if, if we've got the opportunity to do so, if we know the person, our answers are relational. But there is one thing that the equation lacks. I'm sure Bill Hybels knows this and probably talks about it elsewhere in his book. But in that little equation about distinctive living, proximity, clear communication equals high impact, there is one vital element of evangelism missing. And it's there in verses 2 to 4. Did you spot it? Prayer. Prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Paul says, pray for me as I seek to spread the gospel. Pray that God will open a door and then pray that I will speak clearly. Prayer is the vital element that covers the whole thing. Why is that? Well, it's there in verses 2 to 4. Because mission, evangelism is a duet. And it is a duet in which God takes the lead part. And our job is to accompany. It's God who opens the door for the message. It is God who brings light and life as we speak of the Lord Jesus, as we have opportunity. God takes the lead. That's important to remember, friends, otherwise we'll overemphasize our part. We'll think um, that it all depends on us, that our success in evangelism depends on my ability, and that will either lead to pride or despair keeps us on our knees. That's why we've been praying this week as a church. That's why we want to be a church that uh, has prayer right at the heart, uh, individually, corporately. Keeps us on our knees in humble dependency on God to take the lead, to open a door. And joyful expectation. Joyful expectation that as we build relationships, deep relationships with the world, And as we live distinctively in the world, as we're praying, God will create opportunities for us to speak to the world about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll use our words of grace and salt as we speak of Jesus to add to his vine. So let us be those who encourage one another build relationships, to live distinctively, to speak of Jesus as we have opportunity, as we create opportunity, and to pray in all things that God would open a door to his message and give us eyes to spot and to take opportunities to speak of Jesus. In his name, amen.